we differentiate on two different aspects. So the, the first one is vertical integration. That means from the minute something hits our building till the, the minute it ships out, chances are that everything required to do that project is all under one roof here. Uh, and then the second way we differentiate is our size. So we are small enough that we're, we're fast and we can do quick term prototypes, but we're also large enough that when that customer needs a thousand or a hundred thousand of a given component, we can support them with that as well. This is Of Note, a podcast on innovation. I'm Laura Quarter, Managing Director of South Carolina Department of Commerce's Office of Innovation. And I'm Joseph Nuther, co-founder of Design Sensory and Pop Fizz. We're talking to some of the most interesting minds in the South. They're hands-on, they're driven, and they're sharing their notes on business and creativity, entrepreneurship and leadership, failure and growth, and so much more. When it comes to innovation, you have to be opportunistic. You have to look for the next opportunity to deliver value to you and your stakeholders. And you have to be unrelenting in that commitment. Our guest today embodies this commitment to observation, iteration, and refinement. His energy and efforts drive continued improvement that weave their way into the products we use every day. Morgan Brady, managing partner of Composite Resources, joined the company in 2016, with sights set on becoming a leader in the aerospace composite sector. Since then, he and his experienced team have achieved tremendous growth and success for its clients, operating out of a 55,000-square-foot advanced manufacturing facility with a highly skilled team of technicians. Composite Resources is expanding and growing while ensuring long-term success for its clients. And with that, Morgan emphasizes the growing uses for composites, and the importance of these materials to future products and societal goals. My name is Morgan Brady and I'm managing partner of Composite Resources. So Composite Resources is a contract manufacturer of composite components and tooling, primarily servicing the aerospace and defense industries. When we talk about composites, um, we're primarily speaking about carbon fiber. That's the one everybody knows, um, but also fiberglass, Kevlar, uh, and similar materials. So what exactly we do um, is a customer comes to us and they either have just an idea for what their application, or maybe they have this application already designed and uh, we, whatever state that it comes to us in, um, but we can take that, we can fully engineer it, uh, we can do all the tooling required to make that component uh, and then produce them anywhere from one to 100,000 parts if, if they need. Um, and, and when we're talking about the aerospace and defense industries, that's primarily things like commercial aerospace. So when you, you hop on an airplane to, to go visit your grandparents, um, you, you know, some components maybe on the interiors there, on the underside of the aircraft, um, those would be components that, that we'd make. Uh, most common one is uh, if you lift up your seat cushion right underneath your knee, you, you would see a tube. Um, that would be something that we would make here. Um, maybe the, the bracket that holds the monitor to, your, to the seat back in front of you. Um, that's something that we, we can make here. And um, you know, then we also do different drone applications um, and then a variety of military and defense applications. As Morgan fills us in on his company, we wanted to go a step further 
and find out how the company gets its various projects across the finish line. A project can come to us in, in a various state and, and we really spend a lot of time with that customer um, even before we've, we've done a quote, even before we've won the work, you know, really understanding how this component might be used um, and not just the component, but, but the overall system that it's a part of, um, really understanding the scope and understanding their objectives um, because they may have, uh, may, may have a certain intention of, of how they want to go about making it, but we might be able to provide a different solution for them or a different manufacturing process um, that would get them maybe a more cost-effective solution. So we spend a lot of time on the scope. Um, then once, once a project's awarded to us, we put a dedicated team on it. And the way we're structured here is that team that's assigned to the project stays with the project throughout the life of that project. Um, so that way our, our customer has consistent contact points and there's a, a project engineer at a minimum that stays with a project throughout that life cycle. So project would then hit engineering. It'd be fully engineered. It'd be released to our production team. We have a variety of production processes here. Uh, we'd select the appropriate production process, get it through uh, production, and then um, it would, you know, maybe it would get uh, a painting process, a machining process, certainly a quality inspection, uh, and then off to our customer. The aerospace and defense industries seem to need composites more and more. And with such a great need, Morgan explained what makes composite resources different from its competitors. A great example of the way that we operate here, and one of the things that differentiates us is our vertical integration. So a lot of our competition, you know, they might be able to just do tooling or just make parts or only do production parts and don't do prototyping or they only do prototyping, but they don't do production. So we had an existing client who came to us on a program and uh, their, their project was way behind schedule and it was a seating application. It's a, a part that's used in the structure of the seat. And as you could imagine, these, these seats, uh, aircraft seats need to pass crash testing and they're really struggling to pass crash tests. They came to us and they said, we're way behind schedule. We need your help. You got any ideas? Um, and so the, the typ typical production process of a composite component means making tooling, making the part, getting it to the client. You know, that might take three plus weeks. In, in a normal uh, situation. But because they were behind schedule, um, we were doing a, each design iteration in three days. So they would send us CAD on the first day, we'd make the mold on the second day, make the part on the third day, overnight it back to them. They would test that part, um, give us some feedback on how the part performed during crash testing. We'd be on to that one, the next one. We did probably 10 iterations of that cycle to get them what they need. We got them the part, they loved the part, um, but the part we produced for them was out of their price range. Um, so then we were able to go back and really create a whole different manufacturing process to get them the quality of part they needed at the price they needed as well. So one of the ways, as, as a contract manufacturer, one of the ways that we have to be innovative is really meeting the needs of our customer. So we don't do a lot of internal R&D um, and most of our innovation is where our client challenges us. Um, and, and in this case, I'm speaking about our client challenged us on a price point, and that really drove us to innovate our manufacturing process, go into a, a whole new realm that we hadn't been before using equipment we didn't even have at the time uh, in order to achieve a price point. We started this manufacturing process just for this one part, um, but we have over 10 or 15 parts going through that cell at this point. 
So another example of what we do here that many people are familiar with is uh, a component for NASCAR's Cup Series. Uh, NASCAR came to us, they had a problem where there was a lot of differentiation and a lot of development and, and money being spent on the trunk area of these NASCAR Cup cars. And they said, we want uh, every Cup car to have the exact same component. And in order to do that, we can't achieve that with steel and aluminum and metal, how it's currently being made. We want to make it out of composite. Um, so we, we made them a, a very precise, rigid component um, that has a lot of repeatability from one part to another. Uh, we also put an RFID in there. So when these cars are going through technical inspection on any given race weekend, uh, the NASCAR tech officials can scan the part know that it came from us and it's the exact same, same spec from one car to another. Many times a client will come to us with an application, but um, what's different with composites compared to aluminum is, you know, aluminum is very well-known material. Um, a client has the, the knowledge to analyze the stresses involved and, and be able to just say, you know, here's the widget I need, here are the dimensions, here's the material, please make it. When it comes to composites, there's a lot of specialized knowledge required in, in analyzing um, what sort of material, how much material is required, um, and that's where we really support the client to achieve their objective. We're focused about really on achieving success for our customers, um, and in order to do that, we really work with them to understand the scope of their project. And, and yeah, it may take a couple iterations to really achieve the kind of solution that they need at the price they need. So a lot of times I get asked, why do composites matter? And um, you know, for the engineers out there, engineers love composites um, because it has a, a really high strength to weight ratio. Uh, and that makes it a great application for anything that needs to be lightweight, but also strong. Um, and that's why you see it used a lot in aerospace applications. Um, and so for, for your commercial aerospace applications, you know, the, the most popular one being the, the new Boeing 787, um, the engineers love it uh, for it, its light, lightweight, um, but that also um, has an impact to all of us because the lighter the plane is, uh, the more, the further it can fly on less fuel, um, and, and saving fuel consumption, uh, something that helps the environment, which is something that anybody can appreciate. All right, Joseph, we find ourselves back at composites, which is sort of <laughs> not a major surprise. Uh, it is a big domain expertise for the state. I mean, even have recently, we have over 4.3 billion in capital investment. And that's not even including the economic impact of this, I'll just say this area of research and, and, and industry itself. Uh, for those of you that are, are new listeners, I would encourage you to actually go check out uh, our, our podcast with Dr. Pilar. Uh, he built the Composite Research Center at Clemson, and we dive in really heavy on just what a composite is and, and, and its role. Um, so you can check that out. Uh, but for you, Joseph, this was actually your first time putting your hands on it. Oh, absolutely. It was it was so interesting to see carbon fiber in its fabric form. I kind of never really thought of it like that. I've, you know, I've seen it. Uh, hey, I'm a, I'm a gearhead. I'm a car guy, right? So I've seen it in its sort of final state. But, but, uh, but to see it as essentially a woven cloth or fabric on a roll... Um, it was so so cool and 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 to be able to touch it and, and to see how it's sort of woven together without having its um, plastic resin you know or form 
uh, to it that that is is normally how people experience carbon fiber uh, was really cool. Uh, and you know, it, I guess it was kind of appropriate for me to have that experience here in South Carolina. Um, you guys have been known for fabric textiles since the beginning, since the start of of your state. We've had some recent news that Boeing actually opened its research and in, in tech facility in North Charleston because of just this ongoing growth we have in, in composites at large. You know, I think what's interesting about composite resources as a business is that I think Morgan even says, you know, they reference, you know, they're they're not selling widgets, that they're here more or less as a service and kind of an outsourced R&D operation for lots of different, uh, not only composites, but, you know, additive manufacturing kind of processes that, you know, this is a place where a business come to start problem solving and actually start prototyping different solutions that they might have. And when I think about them, they sort of serve this unique role in, I'll say, the innovation process, right? Like they they are a place where people can come and bring their ideas and actually get them off of paper and into a real form. Yeah, I mean, I want to I want to think of them almost as an outsourced research and development, you know, as, as he as he said, as an outsourced R&D and contract manufacturing arm, they will solve their problems for for larger companies, Boeing being one of them, as you mentioned, where you know Boeing's not potentially going to have their team, internal team, um, looking at all hundreds of thousands of, of part designs and, and how each one can be made or improved upon internally. Their their internal R and D is going to be focused on other specific and more related. Uh, internal needs, so they do have to work with partners to do that. I think there's a sense that that there's a a it's a, a way to de-risk, um, potentially deleverage some of the R and D when you can lean on your 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 tier one and tier two partners to um, to help with that incremental uh, or applied innovation. I can see how composite resources. Uh, can play a crucial role there. You know, I think part of that has to do with their culture of wanting to just solve problems. You know, if, if you remember when we got there, you can tell Morgan's sort of aware of his surroundings, sort of picking apart things, you know, he might be logging them for inspiration, but he he asked one of our camera operators to see our tripod um, because I guess he picked up on the fact that there was sort of a telescoping mechanism to the leg or legs on it. And uh, he, he wanted one of his engineers to sort of see how that was working. It's so cool to be able to see, you know, just right there, a bit of a spark or an observation that potentially might make its way into uh, somewhere else. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Who knows? It might be the the next thing that that you know part that you see on a on a plane that helps a tray come out or 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 change your seat incline or whatever it may be. Well, and, and let's just talk about the volume of problem here. So, you know, the average Boeing seven thirty seven has over three hundred and sixty thousand parts, individual parts. Boeing doesn't make all of those, and, and nor should they. They they rely on a very sophisticated, big supplier base. In fact, we've got resources in South Carolina to help actually, you know, get those suppliers connected to our Boeings of the world. Um, but essentially, you know, uh, composite resources helps design those parts with with clients so that they inevitably get to the Boeing that plane that you're sitting on. The, you know, the the seat component that you need. They're making a lot of that to make it even more real for, for people on an everyday basis. You know, the average car, according to Toyota, has 30,000 parts. So when we're talking about, you know, what does the role of like a composite resources play? It's pretty critical that you're touching something that, you know, without somebody like a composite resource available, there are certain parts or maybe luxuries in our cars or even safety components that might not be readily accessible. Well, and I think it's also really cool all of the challenges that 
you hear about a Tesla or a Boeing or or even <clears throat> folks who are looking at you know solving environmental issues, sustainability, they all kind of come back to breakthroughs in these little pieces, right? Because it's like 300,000 parts that you mentioned. Well, if, if, if people like composite resources can lower the weight and, and increase the strength of those parts, that's probably going to save 20, 30% in fuel costs. It's going gonna, it's gonna to save on emissions. It's going to allow the range of an electric car or EV to go further. Um, so in the end, there's this multiplicative benefit to a breakthrough that is so incremental on one of those parts. And, and I think it's just amazing to think about all of that. You know, it may not be the sexiest thing to think about as the thing that holds your seat to the rail in your car. But at the end of the day, a breakthrough there it potentially is just as important as a battery breakthrough. Well, and let's talk a little bit about how these parts are actually made. So, you know, Morgan throws out additive manufacturing. Let's, like, what is that? And there's a there's a couple of different ways of thinking about this, but the one that generally people gravitate towards is lumping into this big category of 3D printing, uh, which is a way that, you know, you could make things almost on demand that we never could before and prototype, be prototyping things. Um, but I'll say that the more science-y way of, of thinking about additive manufacturing, what is additive manufacturing and, and how does this work? So first, you've got your you've got your concept of what you think you want to actually 3D print. And it, before you can even hit the start button, you've got to use a software that is computer-aided design or CAD software. And this creates a file that essentially slices the object into ultra-thin layers. Um, the software then guides the path of a nozzle or printhead as it precisely deposits material onto the preceding layer. Um, or a laser uh, that's, we're going to get cool here, the electron beam selectively melts or partially melts in a bed of powder material. Um, so as it's building, the layers cool or are cured and they fuse together to form a three-dimensional object. I think what's interesting to just kind of take away from additive manufacturing is that in retrospect, when you think about when we're creating other things, there's a there's a process of destruction almost. You know, you're you're either milling or you're machining or you're carving, you're shaping something away. When in reality, with this, you're adding layer on layer of some kind of material that's bonding together and building from the ground up to, to make your finished product. We are honored to have our podcast of note recognized with a 2020 Webby Honoree Award for our debut season. The Webby Awards is the leading international award honoring excellence on the internet. Awarded by the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences, it's the internet's highest honor. You can help us continue to grow the podcast by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing with your friends and colleagues. Before we continue the conversation on composites and manufacturing, we wanted to dive into Morgan's unique story and how it led him to composite resources. I uh, grew up in New Jersey, um, was always into, you know, working on cars and fixing things. And, and that led me to an education in mechanical engineering. Um, you know, and I was able to take that, that love of cars and my schooling in mechanical engineering. And I straight out of school, I got a job working in racing in California um, and, and really just truly fell in love with racing and, and wanted to, um, work as an engineer in racing at the highest level possible. 
And that led me to going to grad school in England uh, for a degree in motorsport specific engineering with the intention of, of really getting a job in Formula One, um, which is the highest level of motorsport. And uh, moved back to the US for a team that ultimately didn't play out. So moved from England to Charlotte, you know, for my dream job. And, and within two months, uh, that team was bankrupt. And I, I had a lot of free time and, and I was going to the gym in Charlotte and just happened to, to meet a guy. I was wearing a racing shirt and he said, oh, you like racing? I like racing. And uh, he said, we should talk. <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay, sure. And uh, so this, this guy happened to be John Bennett, who's the founder of Composite Resources. And, and he invited me down to Composite Resources, which is where we are now. And uh, we chatted for a bit and he said, um, you know, I, I started this company, Composite Resources, in my garage 25 years ago, and uh, I'd like to now start a race team. Do you want to be a part of it? And I said, hey, man, if you can go from your garage to this, uh, I'm, I'm in. So that was 11 years ago. We started Core Autosport, the name of the race team. And we started as a privateer, and a lot of it was supporting John Bennett's racing. And we had a couple other guys just kind of as a privateer at, at a lower level. Um, but we had a lot of success and progressed within the sport. And, uh, you know, again, my, my goal was always to be doing things at the highest level that we could. And that led us to pursuing a contract with Porsche to manage Porsche's top level racing in North America. So we were awarded that contract in 2014. Uh, we've gone on to win uh, three championships with Porsche. I think for myself, as I analyze uh, my own journey, you know, I, I think the thing I realize about myself is I'm really a builder. You know, I, I worked construction in high school. I, I loved that. And I think that's really stuck with me to go from a blank sheet of paper um, and, and, really, and really grow something and, and not just grow a business or an organization, but, but grow the team you know, and grow the people within that team. That, that really means a lot to me. So with Core Autosport, um, you know, we started with an absolute clean sheet of paper in 2010. Um, you know, by 2014, we had won a championship with Porsche, uh, you know, and here we are uh, 11 years later. Same thing for Composite Resources. Uh, Composite Resources have been around 25 years, um, you know, and I, I came in in, in 2016 and uh, was able to look at the business and, and see what's working, see what isn't working and, and take, in that case, take more of an existing company and figure out how do we grow it. Um, and, and in the same way, we grew that business and built that business. Uh, we've been able to double sales in over three years um, and, and at the same time really create uh, an amazing culture here that, that people truly want to be a part of. With a desire for such a strong and cohesive work culture, Morgan walked us through his carefully crafted process of adding new members to his team. So there's a couple of things that are super important to us here. And, and first and foremost, um, you know, our mission here uh, really summarized is achieving success for our customers. We're a contract manufacturer, so it, it's not like we're creating our own widget here that we, if we want to sell more, we could just go out and, and market more. You know, we, we really need our customers to be successful if we're going to be successful. Um, and, and we've created a strong link throughout our organization. And everybody understands that if the customer is going to be successful, that means the organization is going to be successful. Um, and that means we're going to be successful then as individuals. Um, when it comes down to our, our core values, the way we refer to that uh, is really our team agreements. 
Um, and we have a, our, our team agreements are set around, um, they're, they're truly behaviors. Um, it's a list of behaviors that you know, we've all agreed, hey, this is how we're gonna treat ourselves and, and treat each other within the organization. Uh, and that's gonna assist this broader mission of making our customers successful. You know, we, we talk about this, this broader mission so that that first one is, is really being focused on, on customer success throughout. Um, you know, and, and then there's some other things such as communication. Um, so we sum up communication as no surprises. Um, if you don't have any surprises, that means you communicated along the way. Uh, another one that, that people connect with is mindset and just having a, a yes, we can mindset. So we come along a lot with a lot of challenges and, and it's easy to hit roadblocks, but if you take a yes, we can mindset, chances are you can find a solution. The way I approach what, what most people refer to as an interview, um, I think it more of as a test. Um, and you're really testing for two things. You're testing for culture fit and their ability to do the job technically. So when you approach that interview, you should have a test designed um, to analyze their culture fit and analyze their technical fit. So the way we test for culture fit in our organization here um, is we start with, we have a clearly defined culture. Um, as I mentioned before, we have these team agreements, six components uh, of certain behaviors. And then what we do is we've, we've created um, certain questions or certain scenarios that if this person is a culture fit, they will respond in a specific way or handle a scenario in a specific way that proofs out whether or not they're a culture fit. So it seems like Morgan's got a pretty well-defined process of how they're going to interview people to the point he wouldn't even share some of that. But, you know, what, what about you, Joseph? You've got like, what, 35 people at, at Design <laughs> Sensory. You know, what does that, what did, do you guys have some go-to processes for hiring people? Oh, yeah. We have several go-to questions. It depends on what you're sort of hiring for, for us, you know, because like we're integrated. So it might be that, that we're looking to hire a marketer. We might be looking for a designer, developer, and they all sort of uh, um, have different aspects of their craft uh, knowledge set that you would want to mine. I think for me, though, what is important is is how they approach problem solving, but also how motivated they are or how passionate they are. So we usually ask questions. I'll usually ask a question like, you know, what gets you up in the morning? Or um, I like to know what they do in their free time, especially if it's relative to what they do. You'll, so you can tell someone's really passionate about what they do if um, if they spend time doing it you know, outside, outside of work. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, it's great to hear what gets them up or what keeps you up at night. Those kind of questions about like what, when you're wrestling with a problem or you're wrestling with something that you're curious about, what is it, what, what is your behavior? I like to know that because it tells me what you care about. Um, and so those are sort of the things that, that I kind of look, look for in people. I, I love always asking, you know, I don't care if it's even an intern, you know, I ask them, what are you working on right now? Because there's always a different way that they can interpret that question. And again, I think it, it alludes to what are they passionate about? Um, what interests them? Um, you know, and, and if somebody has had some kind of gap in work experience, it, it tells me, are they still pursuing something? Um, so, you know, I, I always get the most random answers. And a lot of times that has nothing to do with their actual title. You know, it could be an outside volunteer kind of thing that they're building. So, you know, I, I it. I love that it, it leaves a lot of room for interpretation and uh, creativity for them. 
And they're usually also a little taken aback by the question usually because it's not a super scripted like, tell me about your time with, with this company. As a contract manufacturer, a lot of our innovation or, or challenges come from our, our customers, but um, you know we really embrace that. So a lot of times a customer will come to us and say, hey, we've been to three suppliers. They all turned us down because it was hard or they weren't sure how to do it. That's, that's when we light up. That's when we know something great is about to happen. Um, and then once we get that project in the door, we don't just rely on our engineering group. To, to be innovative, um, to come up with the solutions. Early in, the, early in a program phase, um, you know, we've got everybody in the room from engineering to quality, to our business services group, to our production techs, all looking at this project and, and providing input. So um, while engineering is primarily responsible uh, for, for innovation and creating solutions, um, it really, it, it spread across the organization. So the way I look at innovation for myself and, and how do I lead the company to innovate is um, I'm not so focused on what we're doing. Chances are if we're doing something, we're doing it pretty well. So what I'm lo always looking for is, is where is the gap? Where is the gap in our organization? Where is the gap in our customers' needs? Where is the gap in us versus our competition? Um, and when I see those gaps, that's what I go towards. Um, and, and normally we find a solution or some innovation in pursuing that gap. And with that, Morgan elaborates on the three main pillars that, as he believes, set the foundation for innovation. I think a lot of people, you know, when they speak about innovation, they, they just think about something new or different. Um, and, and for me, innovation needs to kind of tick three boxes. So, yes, it needs to be new and different. Um, but it also has to really solve a problem. You know, there, there's a lot of cool solutions out there, but if it's a solution that doesn't have a problem, then it, it's not as valuable. Uh, and then the third one, it has to solve that problem in a cost-effective way. So I, I think if you can innovate on those three lines, then you, you have a truly great, uh, great direction. But how can that be applied to the composite industry? So when we're talking about innovation in the composite industry, um, there's really two areas of innovation where everybody's focused on. First off is, is with materials. Um, our material suppliers are, are constantly coming up with new resin systems, new fibers. Um, and then uh, the, the second area is really with production methods. Um, so you're taking these new materials, and then also processing them in, in new ways, such as uh, automated fiber placement, um, as well as additive manufacturing. There are several companies out there that are looking at how can you incorporate both uh, chopped fiber and continuous fiber in an additive manufacturing process. So when we talk about innovation and additive manufacturing with composites, there's really two types of additive manufacturing of composites that's happening right now. So there's chop fiber, and so that's taking a, a typical plastic matrix, chopping up carbon fiber or fiberglass into that matrix and printing it in a similar way that you would any other plastic materials. Um, then there's continuous fiber, which is really um, taking a, a single piece of fiber um, and laying that down inside of the, the plastic matrix, um, which, which yields a much higher strength. 
There are many types of innovation, and when we were sitting with Morgan, I tried to figure out kind of what they did and how it was applicable to understanding the value that they provide to their partners. There are sort of four types of, of innovation when you look at uh, the market and then the technology, and it sort of forms a nice grid. On the market side, you're either operating in an existing market or you're carving out a new market. And on the technology side, you're either working with existing technology or you're developing new technology. If you're working in an existing market and bringing new technology to the table, typically that's called disruption or disruptive innovation, which I think a lot of people love to talk about today. An example of that would be Apple's iPhone. There were, you know, in an existing market, that of cell phones, they brought some new technology in. Some would argue it was incremental, which is actually to the left of disruptive because they didn't really invent anything new. They cobbled together a touchscreen with... Uh, um, your phone. In, your phone, exactly, voice. And so they brought together a bunch of technologies that were existing and they put them together and they operated that within an existing market. Um, but I think in the end, what you look at there, it's sort of, it, it was very disruptive because previous to that, you did not see that type of form or function from a phone. It definitely disrupted that industry. Um, on the other side of this, if you use existing technology, um, but apply it to a new market, it's sort of an architectural innovation, right? You're putting up the scaffolding, you're sort of building the framework of something completely new, um, but you're using existing technology for that. Uh, and again, the sort of the Tesla model might be applicable here, or it might be considered more radical innovation. Often there's a blend of these in, in companies too. Uh, if you're in using new technology in a new market, uh, and again, I mentioned Tesla because they might have new battery technology or new self-driving technology um, within the EV market, which is very new, then that is pretty radical. And so there's sort of those two blends here. I think when you look at what Composite Resource is doing, um, it's probably incremental uh, to a large degree. Uh, they're trying to figure out how to use existing carbon fiber technology within existing industries such as aerospace uh, or automotive. But I can see that they, if pushed, could come up with something disruptive, especially if they're working with a bigger partner like Boeing to develop something that will reshape uh, an existing market. So um, those are different types of innovation here. And, and you know, with respect to their contract manufacturing and outsourced R&D, I think uh, they're, they're really tackling a lot of incremental innovation, uh, depending on the partnerships that they have. The, the way we look at the business development and, and growing our organization uh, is really twofold. So the, the first one is, is doing a great job for our customers and hopefully they come back with, with more and more projects. And so after, over looking at the past four years, there's several customers who were here four or five years ago with one program. Some of those customers we have 10 programs with now. Um, and, and so that's sort of the internal approach to it. And then the external approach to it is uh, we have excellent director of business development who's out there meeting with, with current and future clients. Um, we also attend a, a variety of trade shows um, in order to get our name out there, understanding what's going on in the industry um, and connect with potential clients. As we continued our discussion with Morgan, we knew that some interesting projects were happening at Composite Resources, even though some of them are on a need to know basis. He gave us a hint about which projects he's most excited. There's a lot of, of really exciting things going on under this roof at Composite Resources. Um, some so interesting and exciting, we can't really talk about them because they are uh, military and defense applications. What I'm really excited about with our defense applications is a lot of these things are, are going towards saving lives 
of our troops. Um, so we have several applications that are used in IED and landmine detection. Um, so that's something that, you know, really everybody is, is excited to be a part of and, and we know we're doing cool work here. And we have other, other drone programs that are used uh, in, in surveillance of our borders um, and, and keeping our, our citizens safe here. With the evolution of materials over the past few decades, Morgan shares how composites are being used within many different types of industries and how South Carolina's manufacturing scene is prepared to handle this change. So over the past 20 or so years, uh, composites are showing up in, in more and more places. You know, it, it used to be this exotic material, um, but you know, now it, it's, it's become more and more commonplace. So you know, we're, we're very privileged to be a part of uh, some exotic supercars we're building components for, um, but now you can find carbon fiber even on the, the trim in your road car. Um, you know, same way with the, the aerospace sector, it used to only be found on, on the most exotic planes out there, um, but now it might be found on uh, commercial aircraft as well. It's really exciting to see how manufacturing has evolved in the state of South Carolina. You know, it, it's a state that's always been thought of as more traditional manufacturing sectors such as textiles. Um, but to see what's going on within the state, you know, not, not just with us, but you know, the way uh, larger companies are, are coming here, such as Boeing and Gulfstream and, and seeing the, the progress that's happening in the state, it's exciting to be a part of. Composites and manufacturing are stronger than ever in South Carolina. And in his final piece of advice, Morgan shares how we can all drive this industry forward. So my input to, uh, you know, the teachers and, and the policy leaders out there is, is to bring awareness to all this really cool stuff we have going on in our, our state. Um, you know, whether it's with, you know, manufacturing, composites specifically, or, or aerospace, um, you know, let's, let's get kids out to these companies and get them excited about what's going on. And that way they understand where that engineering degree might get them or, or where that accreditation from a technical school is gonna get them. Um, because there's a lot of stuff that people can do out there that they're just not aware of yet. I'm Morgan Brady, and those were my notes on innovation. This has been Of Note, a podcast that gets up close and personal with innovative people so we can learn from their successes and failures. I'm Joseph Nuther. And I'm Laura Quarter. This is an original production by the South Carolina Office of Innovation and Design Sensory. Our producer and editor is Hunter Foster, with additional editing support from Mariah Reed. Our sound engineer is Mike Deering, with original music by Matthew Honkinen. Check out more interviews, our blog and resource area at scribblesc.com. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at scribblesc. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time on Of Note. So I graduated from high school, and my dad had bought an old junk portable roller coaster, and he had mounted part of it on a big truck with a big trailer. So I graduated high school, he says, Jerry, here, this is a Billboard magazine, and if you look in here, it has the routes of all the carnivals and ads for carnivals that have booked a big fare and need extra rides. And that's where you can take it to make money. So 
I get in the truck by myself and I go all summer from carnival to carnival, different carnivals. So I got to see different carnivals, know them, have to set this thing, and I had to fix it. Hell, the lights didn't work on, I had to do all that. Didn't have a ticket box, I had to make that. Well, I came home at the end of the summer and I'd lived off of it, I'd spend money fixing it up. And I'd give my dad a bag of cash more than he had made the whole previous year. <laughs> so that made me think, well, you know, this may not be a bad business. <laughs>